0: Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. January and February are the months when many Canadians like to flock south to get an escape from our cold winter weather. But the recent plunge of our dollar has many taking a second look at the real cost of a getaway in Cuba, Mexico, or the Bahamas. Fortunately, there are many places where our dollar can still go a long way, and many of them make a great winter getaway. Travel expert Chris Robinson will tell us more. Plus, we'll round out Alzheimer's Awareness Month with a look at a very unique café that started in Europe, spread to the States, and is now here – It provides a friendly, understanding atmosphere for Alzheimer's patients and their caregivers. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The Supreme Court of Canada has given legislators until early June to draft new regulations on physician-assisted dying. As the clock ticks forward, the Canadian Medical Association has released a set of recommendations aimed at helping Ottawa and the provinces draft this legislation. Key issues addressed by the CMA include assessing patient eligibility, physicians' responsibilities and how to balance doctors' freedom of conscience with timely access to the service. The advocacy group Dying with Dignity takes issue with the recommendation that no doctor should be forced to help patients end their lives or refer them to willing colleagues. Living past the age of 100 is a remarkable feat. But that might not be the case for much longer. New numbers out of the U.S. highlight the impressive growth of centenarians. In 2014, there were over 72,000 centenarians living in the U.S., and that's up 44% from the 50,000 that were alive in the year 2000. It's a similar story here in Canada. We haven't seen new numbers since 2011, but at that time, There were over 5,800 centenarians in Canada, up 26% from 2006. Consider this a warning before you shell out any money for websites or games that promise to boost your brain performance or memory. Lumos Labs, creator of the Lumosity website, is being forced to shell out $2 million in a settlement over claims it made while advertising its so-called brain training program. The United States Federal Trade Commission argued that Lumosity customers were tricked into thinking that the program would delay cognitive impairment associated with age. The FTC says that Lumosity preyed on consumers' fears about age-related cognitive decline. And according to the settlement, Lumos Labs must contact subscribers who signed up for the website between January 2009 and December 2014. And finally, contrary to popular belief... Life after menopause might actually mean more sex for women, not less. A survey conducted by the dating website Victoria Milan asked over 3,000 women about their sex lives after menopause. Did it improve or were they less sexually active? A whopping 70% said they have the same or heightened levels of sexual desire as they did pre menopause. 72% said that removing the risk of an unwanted pregnancy made them feel more liberated and able to enjoy sex more freely. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Winter has finally set in, and that has a lot of us thinking about a getaway. Unfortunately, the sagging Canadian dollar can put a crimp in your travel plans. I just returned from a wonderful trip to South Africa, and one pleasant surprise was the value of our currency against the South African rand. What are some other loony-friendly destinations? I checked in with travel guru Chris Robinson.
3: It depends, of course, on where you're going. One of the things to do is is to make sure that uh, when you're paying for your trip, perhaps you can pay in Canadian dollars rather than any other currency. So uh, if you go with some of the uh, the Canadian tour operators, and it depends on on which destinations, you can pay up front just in Canadian dollars, and uh, obviously that, that eases the pain.
2: I am just back from South Africa. had a wonderful trip there. I'm still kind of jet-lagged, but (laughs) the rand is in as bad shape as the Canadian dollar, so actually the prices there are really not bad if – you, your money is Canadian dollars.
3: And you know what? That's a, such a good point, because we always tend to be fixated about Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar. Well, not everywhere is U.S. dollar. So if you choose your countries where, as you say, their currency is performing perhaps even more poorly than, than ours, then you've got no problems at all. In fact, it can even work in the opposite direction.
2: What are some other places that you would recommend where uh, their currency is Doing just as poorly as ours.
3: Well, keeping uh, closer to home uh, on roughly our continent, anyway, the, uh, the, some of the Central American and South American countries are in deep financial uh, trouble, and uh, there the Canadian dollar is is actually very strong. So uh, you can look at Argentina, for instance, if ever you've wanted to go to Buenos Aires and tango your uh, <laughs> your way around uh, the uh, capital city there. That's a great country at the moment because their, their currency is very weak. Uh, Brazil is also in, in some, some troubles, and so are some of the, uh, the Central American uh, countries that you can even get packaged tours to. One that that doesn't apply to is Ecuador, uh, one of my favorite South American countries, because there they put their currency effectively on a parity with the U.S. dollar.
2: Mm-hmm. What about Mexico?
3: Mexico, uh, well, we've suffered a little bit in in terms of our currency against the Mexicans, but not by uh, so much as against the US dollar. And for me, Mexico, particularly when you get away from some of the the larger destinations, is a great value destination. It it truly is. So uh, whilst the the currency may not be working entirely in our favor there, uh, your Canadian dollar still goes a long, long way.
2: What are some of the Mexican destinations that you recommend that you're alluding to?
3: For me, those those destinations would be some of the destinations that are approachable from the west coast, the Pacific coast. Um, there, you get this lovely mix of, of real Mexico, and yet they are um, okay. They they are familiar with Canadian visitors. In fact, they love Canadian visitors. There is uh, some large expat Canadian communities, of course, just uh, uh, an hour or so away from the coast uh, in many places. Yeah. Um, and there you're getting, I think, the best of both worlds.
2: We were on the Pacific Coast at a resort and uh, we found that uh, it was a Mexican-owned resort and it was a very, very good value. I think we booked it kind of at the last minute.
3: Yes, there's uh, some great... Some of these smaller boutique hotels are excellent value at the moment. And don't forget that you can do things like Airbnb in Mexico just as well as you can in, uh, in New York.
2: That brings me to the question of of safety. It's very – unfortunately, when we were away, there was a very big terrorist uh, incident in Burkina Faso. Six yes. Canadians tragically killed. Yes, yeah, horrible. And I heard a very interesting report on which countries have suffered a big drop in tourism because of – the fear of terrorism. Hmm. So I guess the question is, which countries are people avoiding now and, and who is benefiting because of that? Which other countries?
3: Yeah, it, it is very interesting that there is uh, often a discontinuity between reality and perception. So for instance, Mexico is often cited as being all oh, terribly unsafe, but only by people who haven't been there. People who visit Mexico know that it's it's uh, as safe as, as many of the other destinations that, that one would go down to. But uh, in terms of, of global insecurity, when people are feeling, oh, I just don't know, so then, then that's when uh, places in Europe, despite obviously their uh, recent tragedies, uh, somewhere like Europe becomes uh, very strong uh, indeed. And uh, perhaps this is the year to go to places like Australia and New Zealand, your dream trip that you've never got around to, but it's always been on your bucket list, but obviously a very stable um, and a very familiar in terms of uh, their language.
2: Again, I'm just back from South Africa. and Cape Town has been the number one destination for a few years mm. running. What what are some of the other, quote, hot destinations? Their
3: two big hot destinations for 2016 are actually quite close to South Africa, Botswana. Okay. And Japan. And Japan would be in the, that, that uh, basket of, of safe countries, if you like. Um, and, again, their currency is is not too strong either. So it's probably quite a good time to go there. And then their top three cities in the world, because people are often doing city breaks, of course, these days, are Dublin. Mm-hmm. And Dublin is always close to the top of most people's list. Great city. Quito in, in, in Ecuador. Maybe not the cheapest year to go, but it is, it's a sensational city. And KOTOR um, in Montenegro. Now, there's one that will be a stranger to most really? people. Really? Yeah. But uh, that whole area of the old Balkans now, up Croatia especially, is becoming really popular. Places like Dubrovnik.
2: But uh, you'd probably want to wait till after the winter for that. Am I wrong?
3: No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it would be as miserable there as it is sometimes here in Canada. So, yeah, wait until the spring there.
2: OK. Any any other tips for us before we uh, say goodbye?
3: Use a good travel agent to um, make sure that they are registered um, so your money is safe with Tico. That's the um, uh, the travel industry uh, safety net, if you like. Um, and the third thing is always, always make sure you've got travel insurance.
2: Okay. On that note, we'll wrap things up. Chris Robinson, thanks so much.
3: Uh, it's a real pleasure.
2: You can hear Chris Robinson here on Zoomer Radio at 1 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays. I'm Libby Zneimer and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with a look at a very unique cafe that has opened in Philadelphia. It serves the needs of people living with Alzheimer's and their caregivers.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: It's a cafe-style environment geared to people with dementia and their caregivers, The idea was pioneered by a Dutch psychologist and the buzz is spreading from Europe to the United States and now across Canada. The idea is to provide a friendly atmosphere where people can socialize and share experiences over coffee and refreshments. But it's much more than a social gathering. I reached Genevieve Ilg, who set up a memory cafe at the Penn Memory Center in Philadelphia.
4: With dementia, and particularly Alzheimer's disease, what could happen is that because of the disease progression, there's a lot of behavior changes, there's a lot of confusion, um, there's a lot of overstimulation, there's a lot of repetition, and it makes it difficult for those with the disease to be able to socialize and function as normal. Mm -hmm. Then what happens is you have caregivers, uh, spouses, daughters in particular, who are caring for their loved one with the disease and they don't know how to resume life as normal, whatever normal means for them. So what happens is is that you lose contact with individuals in your typical or usual social circle and then you have the caregiver who's often juggling maybe a job, other life commitments, family, Um, and then they feel trapped or they feel stuck having really nowhere to go and and nothing that's really um, meaningful. We're trying to look for meaningful activities to help people along their disease progression so that they don't feel isolated or trapped because they're isolated from their lives as they knew it, as they were functioning prior to the onset of the disease.
2: So how does the Memory Cafe work?
4: The idea is that... Our patients and their caregivers come to a location. It's called Christ Church, which is one of the oldest churches in Philadelphia. Um, they generously donated the space, and they come and they enjoy donated coffee and pound cake. And the idea is that they mingle together with other caregivers and other individuals with memory concerns.
2: I know that for caregivers, sometimes the issue for them stopping to socialize is that it can be embarrassing for them. Mm-hmm.
4: So the idea with the memory cafe is that it is a safe space where everybody is comfortable to be themselves and there's no sort of stigma or compromise coming to a memory cafe because everybody in attendance, the participants know what's going on, they're aware of different behaviors so there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And then the staff that are there are trained to work with individuals with memory concerns and their caregivers. And it is a nice addition to, let's say, going to a Starbucks or something, because if you were to bring a loved one to a Starbucks um, and they acted out or they had a difficult behavior that was, you know, embarrassing to manage and to have, you know, happen out in public, if that were to happen at the memory cafe, there wouldn't be stigma, there wouldn't be anything other than support, understanding, and compassion. So it's a way for people to socialize make new friends um, to foster and to continue to develop their friendships, um, but have the safety and the comfort to be themselves. Uh, so how does this
2: differ from whatever daycare programs are available now? Mm-hmm.
4: Adult Day has really structured activities, and it's a, the idea is that the person with the memory concerns for Alzheimer's disease is dropped off, and the caregiver will drop them off and pick them up just like you would a child for daycare.
2: Now, we've talked about how important social engagement is for the caregivers. What does this do for the patients?
4: Um, I would argue that social engagement is just as important, if not more so, for the patient as it is for the caregiver. And I think that's often a message that gets lost um, or because of difficult behaviors and disease progression is sometimes very difficult to achieve. Finally,
2: um, it sounds like a great idea. What is required to set one up?
4: So um, I've been asked this quite a lot recently, um, and it's not that hard. But really what you need is space and a few light refreshments. You can even mix the few light refreshments. You seem to say beforehand that you do need to have some
2: professionals on site.
4: Yeah, I think it would be helpful. I mean, I would say that anybody who has compassion and empathy and experience of at least knowing what the disease looks like would be um, eligible to network with their community and try to get people on board. Um, I've been working with quite a few people, just informally over email, of uh, people who are studying theology who want to get this started in their churches. Um, So any dedicated community member, uh, I think, could successfully set one up. Okay. Genevieve Ilk, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much.
2: The Alzheimer's Society of York Region offers a memory cafe on the last Tuesday of every month. Check with your local chapter to learn what is available in your area. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Neil Diamond is celebrating his 75th birthday. We'll be back with his first number one hit right after this.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane
1: Brown. In New York City, The Humans is a play about a dysfunctional family dealing with tensions as they reach a crisis. The Humans begins previews this weekend at the Helen Hayes Theater. In Glen Falls, New York, Norman Rockwell in the 1960s is at the Hoops Gallery. It showcases 21 Rockwell illustrations and original magazine covers. In Tel Aviv, Mikhail Baryshnikov has launched the international tour of Brodsky Baryshnikov at the Suzanne Delal Center for Dance and Theater. The show is then headed for Broadway. In Stockholm, Sweden, plan to dine at a new restaurant that you might recognize from this movie. reunited for the first time in eight years for this week's opening of a Greek-themed tavern, which is called Mamma Mia. And a spectacular Rembrandt painting, self-portrait at the age of 63, is on display at the Ulster Museum in Belfast, Ireland. The work was finished just a couple of months before the artist's death. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook.
2: This weekend, Neil Diamond is celebrating his 75th birthday. For over 50 years, he's been one of the most popular singer-songwriters of the Zoomer generation. He sold over 125 million albums worldwide, and he is the third most successful adult contemporary artist on the Billboard charts, just behind Barbra Streisand and Elton John. He's a member of both the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's also made it clear that he has no plans to retire, saying, I'd like to just continue to write songs that express my own life and feelings. Right now, we'll travel back and hear the first number one hit single of his career. It was written in 1970 for his album, The Taproot Manuscript. Here is Cracklin' Rosie. Cracklin' Rosie That was Neil Diamond with Cracklin' Rosie, his first number one hit single. Diamond is celebrating his 75th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Zneimer